Okay, so Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 57. The words are on screen too. As they were going along the road, and by they we mean Jesus and his disciples, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And we'll go that far. So how many social media junkies do we have out there? You can admit it. It's okay. Facebook. I like Facebook. I'll admit it. I can connect with people I haven't seen for a long time or even my next door neighbor who I don't talk to but I can see on Facebook. Um, Instagram. That's kind of growing on me, right? Um, Twitter. Twitter's interesting. I'm on Twitter. But Twitter is, is fascinating because for those of you that don't know about Twitter, Twitter is a platform where you're supposed to express a complete thought in 240 characters or less. Characters, not words, characters. For a preacher, that's a little hard, right? <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's an interesting thing. And, and the thing that all of these social media platforms have in common is this concept of followers, right? A follower is somebody that, that wants to hear what you have to say. And it, it's almost a social status thing, right? It's good to have more followers. So I'm on Twitter. I, I don't tweet very much. But I checked out my profile. Look at this. I have 142 followers. Ooh, I thought that was really good. Hey, considering I don't tweet and I just stalk, that's okay. <laughs> and I was feeling really good about that until I saw this blurb a little while ago. Yeah, Katy Perry recently lost 2.8 million followers, lost them. So now she's down to 106 million, only. So I thought, oh, poor Katy. Maybe YouTube could help her, right? You can learn to do anything on YouTube. So I went to YouTube, and I typed in the search bar, Twitter followers, and look what came up. There are videos, I think the second one down, there are videos that tell you how you can gain thousands of followers. You can learn anything on YouTube. <laughs> so the number of followers you have apparently is a big deal. It's a sign of social status. People want more followers. It increases their voice in the world and their influence. It's good to have more followers. But clearly Jesus didn't get that message. Jesus, yeah. You can thank Jason for that. He added that this morning. But clearly in this passage that we're going to look at today, Jesus didn't get that message. He says a few things in the passage that are a little weird, a little strange, and kind of downright offensive, honestly. And it certainly probably didn't serve to increase the number of his followers. But before we dive in, 
let's look at some of the context of where that passage is located. In the first nine chapters of Luke, we see that Jesus is on a journey. He's gathered his disciples around him, and they're journeying from town to town, healing people, casting out demons. He's even fed the 5,000 or 15,000 people, however you look at it, with two loaves of bread and five fish, or five, five loaves of bread, two fish. Anyway, it was a big deal. And you can bet that news of what he was doing was traveling throughout the country, and people were taking notice. And finally, in chapter 9, at verse 51, we see where Jesus is going. He finally, Luke finally tells us. He says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, meaning Jesus, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, the place where he was going to be put to death and crucified, and he knew it. Luke says, he set his face. Jesus was resolute. He knew serious things were going to happen. But then as they're journeying along the road, people start hearing about this famous teacher and healer, and they start coming up to Jesus just on their own, and they say, I'll follow you. It must have seemed really glorious to follow this kind of teacher. But as Jesus starts interacting with these people, there's a series of interesting responses and interactions that he has. And they're a bit strange and, and kind of harsh. But knowing Jesus, there's something that he's trying to say, right? So let's, let's see if we can figure that out. The per first person that comes up to him just volunteers says right out of the blue, I'll follow you, Jesus. And Jesus says an odd phrase to him. He says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. It's a little interesting, isn't it? So let's pretend, let's play this dialogue out a little bit more. Let's pretend that it goes on a little bit further. This dude might have said, uh, what, Jesus? I said I wanted to follow you, and you're talking about foxes and birds and not having a pillow? Maybe the light starts to go on a little bit. Maybe he starts thinking, do you mean that if I follow you, I might find myself homeless? Or I might have to suffer? Following you might mean I'm a little uncomfortable, or it might cost me something? And I can imagine Jesus' response, buddy, you have no idea what you're in for. Following me isn't going to get you fame or fortune. I don't even have a home. And yes, I'm on a road going to Jerusalem where I'm going to be crucified. Now, if Jesus said that to you, it kind of might make you pause a little bit, right? Rethink that commitment. So is Luke telling us that following Jesus might require us to sacrifice everything Maybe give up our homes? Probably not all of us, but maybe some of us. It's possible. You know, we're protected here in the United States. We have it fairly easy as a Christian. Around the world, that literally plays out all the time. People are forced, Christians are forced to leave their homes, sometimes even their countries, because they're Christian, because they're following. So what does that mean for us, though? Is Jesus maybe calling us to leave the safety and security of what we know and what we have 
to make following him a priority over everything else. Maybe. How that plays out looks different for everybody, right? But the passage gets even a little bit more interesting as it goes on. We encounter another second wannabe follower, and this time it's Jesus that goes to this person. He reaches out first and he says, follow me. Can you imagine? That's an incredible invitation. The Son of God in the flesh issuing you a personal invitation to follow. I'm sure that if that happened to us, we would drop everything immediately and just go, right? But that's not the answer that Jesus gets here. Instead, the person says, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Well, that seems like a really reasonable request, right? The guy just wants to bury his father. But Jesus responds in kind of an odd way. It's almost cruel, I think. He says, let the dead bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. What happened to compassionate, caring, nice, gracious, full of love Jesus? And dead people burying dead people? I think it helps to understand Jewish culture at the time. At that point in Jewish culture, the son demanded, it was an, a social expectation, that the son would have the duty to bury the parent. It was, it was just a foregone conclusion. And Jesus was a Jew, so he knew what shirking these responsibilities would mean to this gentleman. It was a major social faux pas to not bury your parent. His reputation was on the line. And yet Jesus is saying, never mind. Let those who are spiritually dead handle such things. I have a bigger mission for you. You go and proclaim the kingdom. Your priority is to follow me. But it, I don't know, I think it still kind of seems like a really good reason to put Jesus off, doesn't it? God wouldn't ask us to do anything like that that would interfere with our family, would he? Maybe not. But when we assume that Jesus would never ask that of us, we fall into the trap of twisting the Jesus we see in the Bible into the type of Jesus we want to have. A Lord that just wants to make us happy and doesn't demand too much of us. But following Jesus does make demands, doesn't it? Through the text, Jesus seems to be telling us that following him requires a radical shift in our priorities, a radical shift. And that may come at a cost. So in the last six weeks, I've made two short trips to Chicago to meet with a team of leaders from across our denomination. And we have been asked as a team to consider different options for the denomination um, on how to move forward in light of our divisions around human sexuality. Some of the scenarios that we're considering, honestly, are pretty grim. And no matter what we recommend, we as a team know that we're gonna make a lot of people unhappy. One person was asked to serve on the team and he or she declined because of how serving might impact their reputation. Answering that call to service was simply too much. For this individual, the cost was just too high. In this text, Jesus is warning this eager follower, 
following me, truly obeying me, may cost you something. And it requires that you prioritize me over your own personal reputation, your own comfort, even your material possessions. My husband Scott and I were challenged with our priorities about 15 years ago. We were in our early 30s at the time and we were living the American dream. Dual income, large, beautiful home. We loved that home. It was located in a neighborhood that we loved. And owning that house made me feel like I had accomplished something with my life. And at the same time, Prairie Ridge Church, our home church in Ankeny, was in the process of a capital campaign to raise funds for the new building. And Scott and I felt that we were being called to contribute something significant to the building campaign, but also maintain our current level of giving to support the ministry of the church. But quite honestly, we couldn't do it, but we couldn't do both. We were spending an enormous amount of money on our house payment each month. And the spirit continued to move and we kind of had an unsettled feeling and we realized that God was asking us to radically change our priorities. We were being asked to give it up, but we struggled. I mean, I loved that house. I loved that neighborhood. I still love the people there. Finally, we said, okay, God, we get it. We need to shift things around. So we moved to a, le to a smaller home. It was less prestigious. It's still lovely, don't get me wrong. But that move allowed us to align our priorities with Jesus' priorities. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that it's wrong to have a nice house. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not trying to shame anybody into giving more money to the church. Not my point. The point is, is that for my family, these things were interfering with our ability to follow Jesus, what we felt Jesus saying. We felt him saying, I'm not your first priority. And if you want to truly follow me and obey me, I must be first. How Jesus speaks to each one of us is going to be different, right? So let's go back to the text. Look at what the third person says to Jesus. I'll follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my home and the people there, my family. So by now, Jesus' response shouldn't surprise us at all. It's still kind of strange. He says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What? What do plows have to do with following Jesus? This isn't a conversation about plowing, right? Now, it sounds really strange to us, but to the people surrounding Jesus at that time, putting a hand to the plow and looking back would have triggered memories of an Old Testament passage. It's, they would have remembered the story of Elijah's call to Elisha back in 1 Kings 19. You can read that story later if you want to. I'll give you the short version, okay? In the story, Elijah, God comes to Elijah and says to Elijah, go and make Elisha your successor. Go call Elisha to be the successor to you as a prophet. So Elijah goes and finds Elisha in a field plowing with 12 oxen. Elisha was working and Elijah comes up to him and throws his coat on Elisha, 
which is a symbolic way of saying, come and follow me. Be the prophet in training. So Elisha says to Elijah, okay, I'll follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. Sounding familiar? And in this story, Elijah actually does allow Elisha to go back and say goodbye. So if we come to this passage back here in Luke, the followers around Jesus would have known this story of this call, where the master does allow them to say goodbye. And so this is where Jesus makes a point. He says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom. When he says that, he's saying, my kingdom is a new kingdom. I'm changing the rules here. Following me requires that I am top priority. My kingdom comes first. And sometimes that might mean prioritizing me above your own family. That's really hard. That's a hard teaching. But notice what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, don't honor your family, don't give them a high priority, don't make them a, a priority in your life. He's simply saying, I must be first. Maybe Jesus is asking us to look at how we prioritize our family. Do we use our children, our parents, our extended families, our friends as excuses not to fully engage in the life of our church, to not fully engage in the kingdom? Do we tell Jesus, I'll serve my church once my kids are older, or once this happens, or once that happens? Jesus is asking us to consider in this passage whether or not he's truly Lord above everything else, or if he's Lord only after the first 14 things on the list. If it is, if that's true, it may require a radical shift in our priorities. Now, we aren't told in the Bible passage how any of these three people responded to Jesus. Did they follow? Did they just drop away? We don't really know. But the story of Elisha's calling in 1 Kings does have an interesting detail in it. If you go back and read it, we don't know if Elisha actually does go back and say goodbye to his family. He has permission. Elijah says, yeah, go ahead. But we don't know if Elisha actually does it. What the Bible does tell us is this. Elisha goes back and kills his oxen and burns his plow. Cuts it up, burns it, creates a fire, cooks the oxen. They eat it. They eat the oxen. That's a big deal because that plow and those oxen would have been the only source of Elijah's livelihood if he decided that following, or Elisha's livelihood, if he decides that following Elijah wasn't worth it. He, Elisha burned it all. He had no way of going back. So what about us? What has to shift in our priorities? What choices do we have to make? The Bible never says that following Jesus will be easy or convenient. Instead, this following requires a radical shift in our priorities so that Jesus and his kingdom is truly first all the time, not just when it's easy or convenient. Jesus put us first, right? He was enjoying the splendors of heaven having all the power and all the might and all the dominion over the entire universe. 
And yet, he made the choice to make us and our salvation a priority. He came down from heaven into a broken, sinful, corrupt world in the form of a human so that he could walk a really lonely road to Jerusalem to die a horrific death so that we could be reconciled back to a God that dearly, dearly loves us. Jesus did it willingly. He made us his first priority. He's not asking us to do anything that he hasn't been willing to do himself. Let's pray.